Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 44th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, so how was your Outsiders pre-release? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so all the pre-releases in the area capped, I'm pretty sure. Maybe one didn't, but... Uh, basically I was like, I'm not, I'm probably not going to go to pre-release. I'll leave spots for other people. I know it needs a growing scene and we didn't get a lot of spots left available to us basically. And then Friday afternoon, someone posted that there were four slots still in a pre-release and I'm like, Oh, in that case I'll go. So I go click the little link they have to register, which was just, this was just fabs, uh, like event registration, like built an event thing where you just like click the link and it puts you in the event, which I don't think is supposed to be used for like reserving slots for an event or something like that. But I signed up through that. And about 30 minutes before the event, I called the store a couple of times, nobody answers. And I'm like, I don't really want to drive out there if I'm not going to get a slot, but I also don't want to not drive out there and have a slot be open for me. So I drove out there, I get there, the event's full. I go back home. That was my pre-release weekend. Yeah. And I felt bad. I heard that story on Friday. And then lo and behold, a different LGS in the area was like, oh, we have two slots available tomorrow for our 1 p.m. pre-release. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll message them and I'll hold the spot and I'll give it to Michael. So then I give it, I, I, I message them. They say, oh, yep, you have a spot tomorrow at our LGS tomorrow at one. And I'm like, Michael, I saved you a spot. I'm going to, I'm not going to go to this. You can go pre-release in my place if you want. And you're just like, nope, I'm over it. I don't want to pre-release. And I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, so I guess I'll just double pre-release tomorrow. Cause I would also, uh, reserved a spot at a different one because, uh, that LGS specifically was holding spots for people who play regularly at like their armories, like locals and stuff like that, which was really nice. So I knew I was going to get into that one. And so I show up to the one at 1 PM though, the next day. And they're like, oops, we overbooked. You are actually the last person to register. Please go home now. So I then got kicked out of a pre-release and had to just waste a bunch of time until the next one at 5 PM. So Capping pre-releases at 16 people, maybe too few people. <laughs> yeah, I think like, I honestly am very hopeful. This is just like growing pains, though. We had a similar experience with Tales of Aria where I, like a week before the event, I was trying to sign up for pre-releases and I couldn't because that was like when we were new and I didn't, I guess I didn't realize how much demand there would be, but like I was looking like a week out and I couldn't get a slot. So yeah, that might have also just been an us thing too, because we live in Indianapolis and that was the weekend before or of Gen Con. So we were inundated with just a lot of people like who just love games in general. So that kind of like filled up a lot of our local spots. So that one was just a bit weird. But I don't think Uprising had pre-releases that it, I remember. It did. I was in Vegas that weekend though, so I don't know. Cause we did the world or I did the world premiere. I think that might have been that's the fair, same weekend. Fair. Maybe it was, yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't really remember what happened with the, cause they, they had the world premiere in three different places. <laughs> Maybe. I just remember the sealed. I, I don't think there was, cause they were just so unconfident in the sealed for uprising. I feel like that maybe I'm, uh, maybe that's just me projecting, but yeah, I don't remember. And then obviously the supplemental sets don't have pre-releases. So it's been a long time since we've had a pre-release, but I guess I would just prefer that maybe they just allocate, you know, just some a little extra product to pre-release. Just like, I think I posted on Twitter that just like, 
you shouldn't blame people who want to put in like play all the pre-releases. Like if like you have locals who are like, yeah, there's four pre-releases, but only 16 spots in each one. Like they all want to play in all four of them. They should be able to do that. Like anybody who wants to play and support an LGS and go to different stores and like meet new people playing flesh and blood who are going to show up to these different stores should be able to do that. So like, it's just, I, for a get time that like, is like super exciting. People want to come in and start playing the new product that should just be a little bit more available. I feel yeah. Like. And, I guess like the other thing to mention is a lot of these stores definitely have space to run more than 16 people pre-releases. They're just like only allowed to run a 16 person pre-release. And maybe LSS could, instead of trying to like be like, we're going to allocate one kit for every 16 people for the pre-release prizes. Maybe they're like, yeah, you're going to get one kit, but you don't need to cap your event. And you can just like order more product to run that. Or I don't know when stores actually get their product. If it's like they get one batch for their pre-release and one batch for their product that they're selling, or if they get it all at once, but Either way. No, it definitely came in waves because I don't think any like LGSs that I went to like for pre-release were just like, yeah, we just we just don't have any more product at all here, even for like prizes or anything like that. So Okay. It seems like it's not that hard of a fix to just get the product in the LGSs a week earlier and just let them use the extra product, even if you want to keep doing the one pre-release kit of prizes. Cause I think like skirmishes have a similar thing where you get one skirmish kit and if you have more than sixteen people, then some people just don't get door prizes and that's fine, right? That's like yeah, a lot absolutely. better than turning people away, I think. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes a lot more sense. And I think would leave a better taste in people's mouths because especially if you have the extra product and you can give away like pre-release packs as like prizes then, like maybe they don't get the promos, but you just prioritize the people who don't get the promos get like an extra pack or something like that. So like, I don't know, there's lots of different ways you can do it. And um, I, I'm not even advocating for some, like I see some people saying like, oh, they should print like special pre-release packs like Magic did. Like uh, for people who didn't play Magic the Gathering for pre-releases, like you actually got like sp- super special pre-release kits that came in like these special bundles and packaging and like had six packs and then you got a special unique pre-release promo card and stuff like that. And like LSS doesn't need to go that far. Like that's obviously a lot of extra cost in printing and distribution and like it just adds a whole nother layer of like cost to the game at that point but i think just allocating extra product early would just make for a better pre-release experience and especially as flesh and blood keeps growing like more and more people are going to want to get in at these like pre-release entry points and it just makes sense to like just uncap them and let anybody who wants to show up and play the great game of flesh and blood and the flesh and blood play it yeah definitely makes a lot of sense and i know like personally i have some friends that have been getting into the game pretty casually and I'm like, I think they would enjoy a pre-release experience, but I don't know if they would be prepared to book it two weeks in advance to make sure they get a spot or have to deal with that. Right. So, yeah. I I think if it's at all feasible for them to have pre-releases that do not cap, then they should do that. And it doesn't seem like it's too big of a stretching to that point. Mm-hmm. Well, that being said, are you ready to talking about uh, Outsiders Limited? <laughs> Kind of. Uh, I have one whole draft under my belt. So same, same. I'm excited to give my expert insight on the draft format now that I've got so much experience. Yeah, I have I have a draft and a sealed. So, you know, that's a, that's a I, I'll be double the expert that you are, basically. Okay. I think. okay. So uh, I guess what are your initial thoughts on the format in general? It's sweet. Yeah. I love it. Like it's like uh, it's everything I've wanted in a flesh and blood limited format 
since Wagonori, that's for sure. So like so far it has not disappointed on like its level of quality, that's for sure. But what about you? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. I played Azalea in my first draft and I lost a game where I think I could have won if I played better, and I won a game where my opponent probably could have won if they played better. So that's like a pretty good sign on the the format where like your play decisions are mattering a lot, which is just generally how flush and blood goes. But yeah, and Azalea yeah. felt like pretty complex there were some pretty com- complicated lines and like tracking the reds that you like azalea to the bottom of your deck so that when you get to second cycle you can re-azalea into them is like also a pretty like i don't know it's, it's a pretty deep format and it's not something that we get in a lot of limited formats where like you're going that deep with second cycle stuff and i like that yeah I went three and one at my pre-release. You know, everybody on Twitter was like, "Yeah, I easily four road and never lose a game of Flesh and Blood in my life." But uh, I did with my. I had a very good Azalea uh, sealed pool actually. Um, like I just had two red infecting shots, lots of spire snipings, the one that like, you look at the top two cards to help you uh, make sure you're hitting good cards with Azalea's ability, and just lots of good pumps. I had three infect with blood rot in my pool somehow. It was just a very good Azalea pool. But even with like all that amazing quality of cards and stuff like that, I, I punted. Like I just missequenced like my turn by not um by firing by leading with a seek horizon, um, putting a card on top and I was like, oh I can Azalea into this. Um afterwards and then i realized oh i don't have a card in my arsenal and then i only have two cards left and then i can't like read that and there was no way to like fix it based on like what i planned out in my mind mm-hmm. like and so i just lost the game on the spot because i just i just didn't need to just take that line i could just block differently or just played a little bit more efficiently and then i'd probably win that game but instead i just misused a seek uh horizon and uh yeah lose yeah <laughs> uh I think the ninjas also seem pretty cool, I guess, jumping around a little bit. Like Katsu is very punishing if you don't block his surging strikes and has a reason on a game. I like that the, the the class with the best weapon has the worst blocking card. So like there's no class that's like inherently amazing at fatiguing. And then assassins, like I think assassins are probably the best of the fatigue decks, but their weapon is so bad <laughs> that they. Oh, yeah. They, uh, yeah. I was I was saying I was gonna jump in there because like I think saying that Kadachis are the best weapon is a little bit of a hot take in the limited format. Really? Yeah, I think spider like one of my notes for this this podcast is that um is spider's bite actually OP and limited? Especially in this format. Because like there's so many uh two blocks in the set, mm-hmm. especially at attacks. Mm-hmm. So spider's bite lowering those twos to like one basically means like you're not blocking if all you have are like two block attack actions in your hand when that when this happens and like that's not unreasonable a lot of the time so that just kind of gives free reign for assassins to just come in with like whatever on hit or whatever ability they want afterwards so like i feel like spiders like part of the reason why fatiguing or um assassins are kind of in my experience so far pretty frustrating to play against is because of the power of spider spites and how disincentivized you are from like blocking there and after sure that makes sense and um and then i guess if we jump back a second and then talk about kadachis um i the quality of like blue zeros in this format is actually kind of low like I think they kind of did a good job balancing it around. Like you can't just take a million blue zeros and just Kadachi people out of the game by blocking. Like, I think they very clearly didn't want that to be like super 
dominant in the limited format because there have been lots of hands or lots of picks and drafts and limited stuff like that where I'm like, okay, well, this blue is what I want, but like it costs one. Like there's a lot of ninja cards that like cost like one, um, especially um, in in the class itself or, or, or generics as well. Like blue zeros are actually pretty hard, like playable blue zeros are pretty hard to come by. Like, I guess if you want to, you can play things like brush off in your deck oh, and no. stuff like that. But like <laughs> you're kind of sacrificing a lot there. Like blue seek horizons is fine. I guess like that, it's not amazing, but um, really when you look at the blues overall in the set, there's just not a lot of like blue zeros um, that you're super thrilled to be putting in your deck. Sure. That is, that is fair. Okay. Um, did you just want to get into the, start talking about the dynamics between the in-class heroes then, or is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we dive into that? Yeah, let's dive into that. So uh, jumping into heroes, do you want to talk about Rangers? Cause that's the one I have, I guess the most experience with the one I've actually drafted and played with. There's more than one Ranger in this set. Yeah. Yeah. There's two Rangers. There's Azalea and uh, who, who's the other one? So there are reasons to play Riptide. You shouldn't be, every time you're a ranger, that doesn't mean you should be Azalea. I think like the main reasons to play Azalea over Riptide are, well, most time, that should be your default. So the reasons you would play Riptide over Azalea is when you have lots of go-again attacks, like you have the the zero for three go-again arrow. What's it called? Um, I could picture it. I'd see it in my mind. Falcon Wing. Yeah, Falcon Wing. And then... Ravels are good in, I guess Ravels are good in both, but Falcon Wing and the traps are the main reasons to play Riptide. So again, I think especially, uh, especially like the Majestic Traps, but even some of the yellow traps and the red traps are pretty good in Riptide. So all of the traps, I guess, are just good in Riptide. Um, Sure. So if you have like a decent trap count and you have several of those go again arrows, I think that's the main times you would look at playing Riptide over Azalea. Okay. Well, here's why I don't think uh, I think Riptide's going to be my least favorite hero of this set. Not close in this format. So, um, he naturally has a pretty clunky dynamic in his hero ability, where like, obviously, he does. There's not a lot of go again attacks. What, Michael? I, I forgot the other reason to be Riptide is he's the best virulent touch and death touch hero by a decent amount. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But those are very powerful cards for sure. Um, However, but like, there's just going to be when you don't have cards like that. And since there's go again, is kind of like a super premium in this format. Like there's actually not a lot of attacks with go again on it. So it's your, there's not a lot of going wide, but then also when you realize there's not a lot of go again in this format that turns off all of the traps that punish go again. So like, that's already like, one subset of traps that are a little bit lower and limited than you might otherwise expect them to be because you're like oh these ones are going that's going to happen all the time i'll totally get value off my go again traps maybe um and then you have the other subset of traps that are only triggering off of reactions which are obviously very good against like it's very good against like azuri but against like ranger that's just a block three you're like i I, I, there's going to be a lot of matchups where that trap just can't trigger at all. And then there's also power uh, great or power greater than its base power. And that one's going to trigger probably more than all the other ones. But like, 
it also has the least relevant um like punishing effects like there's boulder trap like putting a minus one counter on a piece of armor is like not amazing in this limited format especially considering like there's going to be a decent chance that your opponent just doesn't have any armor with block value to begin with even if you do the thing um I, but i guess buzzsaw trap is very powerful when you do that though when if you have the majestic so like i guess if you open buzzsaw trap go for it you're 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 a, you, can, you can maybe play riptide but outside of that i feel like the juice isn't worth the squeeze for his like lower starting health and the rate at which you're going to actually be like triggering these traps. Yeah. I, th- I think the go again trap will trigger more often than you're kind of giving it credit for. I think it's very good against Katsu and Benji, of course, the ninjas, and it's also very good against Arachne and that's half the heroes. So like it's quite good against half the heroes and it's worse against the other half, but Oh yeah, as long as it's in your arsenal, it's good against Benji. Sure, yeah, but I guess you just act you activate activate a zero ability on something you can't block, and then it's good in your arsenal. So sure, yeah, and Benji will play a decent amount of attacks that are just like head jabs yeah. or stuff, like red head jabs. Still, it's not like all yeah. of his things are going to be his that's fair. power enabled. Yeah, and I guess like. So let's talk about the conditions where like Riptide's like at a scariest, right? So like when you're at the end of the game and you're at like one or two life, you're just terrified to do anything. <laughs> like uh because if you like his tra- traps triggering will just like kill you. But what you can do to play around that and you can do this a lot during the the game is you can just try to play like efficient non-pumped non-go again attacks and then try to block him effectively and you'll just win the end game because he's a ranger. Yeah. So like that's kind of the other issue I had with him. When you get down to like one or two, it can be really hard to block effectively against him because he has like because like breakpoints are a thing. He goes like four go again into four, no go again. And that's four cards to block. Mm-hmm. So it is tougher at that point, but Yeah, I wouldn't disagree, but yeah. I just haven't been thrilled with him, but, and like, I guess the other takeaway, like my seal pool with Azalea and like what I've seen from Azalea in draft is like, she is like super good. Like if you get a good, like Azalea deck, like you can just run away with games in this format, which is like really scary for a hero to do. Yeah. The, the blood rot cards are like constructed power level cards, both the infecting shot and the lace with blood rot. And then Mm. the, Oh, what's the frailty ones, they give minus one to arsenal and weapons. Yeah. Those are extremely good in this limited format. So because of that, Azalea just has a lot of really good things. And then like combining dominate with inertia tokens can also definitely leave your opponent not able to use their whole hand and mm. just like lose a card to an inertia token too. So like all three tokens are very powerful in the limited format. Yeah. Like I think in, even in my sealed, right? So like my opponent was at 11 and I just dominated like a nine powered arrow with a blood rot token. I dominated like an infect a red infecting shot with uh, a lace with blood rot on it, and they just they just died. Like the game was just over. Like they were at eleven. And it's like okay, cool. That's a neat thing that a hero can do, I guess. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I, I definitely think Azalea has probably the highest ceiling out of any hero in the format would you agree with that i think so it's hard for me to imagine anybody that like let's say you're in a draft pod and like you're the only azalea player somehow like 
I think it's pretty safe to say you're going to win that that draft. Yeah, the the lace cycle is so strong, and the fact that like, yes, Riptide will play the lace cards, but and he'll still pick them pretty early because they're just like really good cards. But they are they really shine in Azalea, where you're like giving them dominate at a pretty consistent, not maybe not super consistent, but like a reasonable amount of the time you're giving your big arrows dominate with these lace effects, and that's just like very backbreaking. Yeah, or even any of the shots, but by themselves that uh, at red at common like. You know, five or six dominate is still like a pretty good. And like, you're like six. How are you getting six? Well, you're going to be playing Azalea's Quiver to give them an aim counter. So they're going to be coming in for six dominate plus their um, uh, obviously token. So, like, that's pretty easy to get like eight value at least out of like either infecting or um, the one that gives a frailty. Uh, Sedation shot. giving them uh, an inertia token. It's hard to know how much extra value you're going to get off of that. But the other two red arrows are like premium, premium effects that like you should be taking pretty early in draft, I feel like. Yeah. And I think inertia tokens are still very strong because a lot of the time in this format, heroes aren't great at using four card hands. A lot of hands, they really want to block with two cards, block with three cards, maybe even, or block with two cards, play a card, arsenal card or something like that. And the inertia token can really like, it's just going to eat a a full card a lot higher of the time, a lot higher percent of the time than you would think it would when you're giving your weapon dominate or your attack Mm -hmm. dominate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But that being said, I feel like an overdrafted Azalea pod could lead to really, really bad Azalea decks. So like, uh, if like you're starting to come in with like yellow, like yellow dominates yellow for fives, they're okay. Um, but like I imagine even those are going to get scooped up pretty early, and then the quality of a lot of the other arrows kind of drops down pretty quickly. Like Widowmaker is fine, but there's a good amount of ways to like get around its like plus effect. Um, Spire sniping, I don't think it's an effect you want a lot of. The radon, it's fine at its base, but like it's really more of a setup kind in my mind. Like I, I, I think I'm most excited for like spire sniping blue because that way, if you need to pitch block or use it as a setup card, it fills both all three of those roles really well. Um, whereas it does that uh, pitch role obviously worse at the other two colors. Um, and skybound shots just kind of whatever. It's just like damage. Yeah, that's one other thing I noticed about Azalea too is when drafting her, I think I overvalued blues. You don't actually need that high of a blue count. Mm-hmm. If unless your pumps are like come to fight, then yellows usually can do the full thing for you where you're like uh activating Azalea and then you're paying one for your aim counter and then one to shoot the arrow. So if you just like end your turn on an arsenal, you don't need a blue for your full turn to work unless your pumps come to fight. If your pumps are just zero cost, then you're you're clear. Yeah, I have generics much further down on my list, but you said come to fight, and um, that's just a windmill slam every pack one, pick one, right? Almost like that card's insanely good, and let me tell you why. Like here's here's my here's my case for how good come to fight is. Come to fight is a non-attack action that blocks for three, so it's get around it gets around spider's bite so every time your opponent swings in your spider's bite you get to confidently block with your come to fight if that's what you want to for three feels really good and then there's a lot of turn cycles in all the heroes where you'll end with like one floating resource basically and come to fight slots in very cleanly in that one floating resource to force through an on hit so like there's 
a good amount of good generics in the set, and we can talk about that when we actually get to like the actual generics. But come to fights, just like the all star premium cream of the crop generic in my mind at this point in time. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it it being a block three means it's great against ninjas, great anytime you want to block. And the fact that like I was saying earlier, it can be really hard for heroes to spend a four card hand or even a three card hand if they don't have a good opportunity to block with their cards. Having just a card that you can spend one resource and a card for three damage does does a lot to help you effectively spend your hands mm-hmm. <laughs> or a few sure. cards in hand. Okay. Uh, so now we've touched on the rangers. Which class do you want to move on to next? Let's talk about ninjas. So, Katsu versus Benji. When, I guess, when you have a ninja deck, I think, in my mind, the biggest reason to play Katsu is when you have a lot of the, the surging strike line pieces. Yeah, I would agree. Because that's the by far the most powerful combo line in the, in the format. So um, if you have multiple reds surging, if you have any red, if you have red whelming or not whelming, descend, I guess, wave, and you have any bonds of ancestry, that's when you should really be looking to play Katsu, I think. And then the rest of the time, is it just, should you just always be Benji? If you don't have a strong surging line? Yeah, so I guess let's talk into like the the, the chef's kiss of limited design that is the ninja design in this limited format because it's so clean between what these two ninjas want and their two different play styles like benji like when you're drafting benji every time you see like a yellow two power card you're so excited you're like oh get in my deck please and every time you're katsu you're like nah i don't i don't want that card at all and basically you you nailed it on that hit the nail on the head there by saying like Uh, Katsu really is incentivized to focus on the surging strike line and Benji is really incentivized that I feel like to go with the head jab line both because the yellow and blue head jabs work so well in his deck as an attack or pitching Kadachis and uh, the yellow and blue payoffs for all the head jabs um, block block for three they both block for three I know one two punch does for sure yeah, they uh, both block for three. And recoil does as well. So like they both block for three and they're both giving you the extra bonus after they hit. So once you punch at yellow, if as long as it's not pumped, is going to be just like a yellow. Oh, it's awkward because like if your head jab's the previous link and it and you come with the yellow head jab and it hits, you disincentivize to then attack with yellow one two punch because then it would be pumped to three, which is awkward. But blue one-two punch would then basically be like a blue that comes in for four damage at that point because it's going to come in for its base one, get pumped to two, and then deal an extra two damage um, with its on hit after a head jab. And like that's really powerful for your yellows and blues to be able to like push through those kinds of effects. Yeah, and I think like red head jab, obviously like you want your red combo cards, but red head jab is especially very good in Benji because you're getting your three at rate and then you can slide in your yellow combo card after if they don't block it and get the on hit trigger from the the combo cards. Yeah. but it, Or if they do block it, sorry. And if they don't block it, then it's slightly worse if they don't block the first head jab that you're like your combo card now will, will get pumped. But then if you have the red head jab and then you have another head jab, like a yellow head jab, then it's perfect. Mm-hmm. 
Let's talk about the awkward stepchild combo line, though, in Twin Twisters. How do you evaluate, like, the Twin Twister line? Uh, I think they're, it's just fine in both heroes. I think Katsu takes advantage of it a little bit better since the blue Twin Twisters cost one. So you do not get to uh, use it for Kadachis if you're trying to play blue Twin Twisters and Benji. Um, yellow Twin Twisters is probably fine because you can choose the, the pump mode on it. Yeah, yellow twin twisters and Benji is fine. It's a back heel kick because then back heel kick would come in for um one from the twin twisters and then one from its combo. So it'd be a zero zero for five at red, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um the the leg tap that follows up off itself and off twin twisters seems very good. The yeah. spinning heel the, kick. Yeah, spinning heel kick. I think that card is a card that you probably just want as many copies of because leg tap is a pretty good card in the format. Um, it works well with Benji's ability where like if you play your spinning heel kick, are they really blocking for four to turn off your quote Ira ability? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Plus one effect. So, And then it's just good in Katsu because it's a one for four that threatens Katsu's ability. Mm. So going back to something I touched on earlier, though, so if we look at the whole just pure just ninja card pool, right, for swinging kadachis, so we want, we're want we looking for blue block threes. At Majestic, that costs zero. At Majestic, we have Dishonor. That's it. Concealed Blade. That's a dual class. Oh, sure, sure. Um, that's it. Then at Rare, we have Recoil and back heel kick no sorry just recoil at rare then at common we have back heel kick and one two punch so four four total cards in the entire ninja card pool that are blue zero cost block threes like those are premium picks i feel like at that point yeah i i would agree with that and then like if we just look at like just zero cost that even block two we just have head jab. We just have head jab, which is crazy. Like so many of these blue effects in ninja cost one or two now. And like, this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier when I was saying like, it's harder to get the full Kadachi Kadachi value than it might otherwise have been in like, it's not like welcome the Wraith. Yeah, that's fair. There are a lot of zero cost generics that block for two, like rabble, like Seek Horizons, like, uh, I'm like, yeah, another infectious then. host, feisty locals, <laughs> and scout the periphery and brush off. But like, all those are pretty like bad cards to put in your deck. Aside from like, infectious host might be okay. Feisty locals, I'm not excited about. Yeah, yeah. ravenous rabble blue. blue, I'm not excited about. <laughs> Scout the periphery, I'm not excited about, and brush off. I'm like, all these are pretty mopey cards to have in your deck, I feel like. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think brush off is the worst because it doesn't even block for two. But for sure. Yeah. The others are probably either being pitched or blocking for two. You're, I can't imagine you're casting them very often at all. But like a lot of limited decks, I feel like that is kind of the state that you get to with some of your blues is you're just blocking for two or playing them. And that's okay, they swing Kadachis, there's still going to be cards that like you'll want in your deck a decent amount of the time. Yeah. And then at Rare, or then at Majestic in the dual class, you have both Knives Out and Concealed Blade. 
um, and stab wound. So like all the dual class uh, majestics are like very good for both of them because they're blue block threes that have pretty good effects when like when you do the thing. And then at rare though, dual class, I think both like this is going to be a highly contested card at all colors is hurl, and this card is so much better than it looks on paper. Like the like your opponent has to be terrified of going down to one life when you have hurl in your deck. Like you basically start the game at like one less life than you would otherwise when your opponent, when you know about hurls on like second cycle and things like that. It's just a terrifying card. Yeah. Going to one's always scary against ninjas, but hurl makes it like you, you, you just die if you don't have secrets equipment to stop it. Right. And in the end game, it's going to be pretty hard for you to like have that equipment left. Like you're going to probably find spots to use it effectively. Uh, over the game or at least i hope i hope you do um and even then like if you're in the end game and you're at one life and then you're having to both have to defend this hurl um the kadachis or a spider's bite and this on it like that's asking your 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 cards in hand are being stretched very thin at that point like I, it's going to be very hard for you to come back into that game mm-hmm. how consistently do you think uh people are going to be able to do like um the surging line though like how have you have you played have you seen a lot of be like water be played or used or anything like that yeah i think be like water is good and it's just kind of like red be like water just kind of demands a three block a lot of the time because it's almost always if it hits you're gonna like especially against katsu it's gonna lead to something pretty bad but even against benji like letting the red be like water hits will often result in them getting the head jab follow-up thing in benji's ability yeah so i think red head jab looks very good especially when there's like a lack of three blocks in the format or sorry red be like water um yellow be like water is pretty good in benji i think i Mm. think katsu will probably play it it's a yellow zero and a lot of the time it still will demand a block and then the blue is a blue zero for kadachis and also has decent upside in benji as well yeah, even in Katsu, I feel like if you if you just lead with a B like water, like your opponent's pretty incentivized to block that card, right? Because there's just so mm-hmm. much value you can get, like if that hits. And having a card that feels like a must block in blue, even, is a pretty good spot for a card to be. Yeah. Especially when it has go again. So I, I think B like water is very good. Yeah, I would say that's like the premium ninja common at this point in time. Um,. And then, yeah, that's, uh, I, 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 w- I will say Descendant Gust Wave has felt a lot clunkier than I thought it would. Like, its floor is actually a lot lower than I thought it would be. Obviously, when you do, like, surging into Gust Wave, into Bonds, like, it feels very good. But there's not a lot of Bonds of Ancestry floating around. It's a rare, so you're not going to see a lot of it. And when you're just attacking it for, for three ago, again, it's not very, it's not like you never feel like you're excited about doing it and it only blocks for two and it doesn't swing Kadachi. So it's just been pretty clunky. Yeah. I think if you have the luxury of being able to sit on a specific card in Arsenal, it's a great one to leave in Arsenal because it combos well with surging or with bonds, either, either side you're happy to play it with, even if you're missing the third piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think like it is a pretty good card to sit in Arsenal, but yeah, it's very bad when you don't have one of the other two pieces to go with it. That's fair. Anything else you want to say about the ninjas themselves before we move on to the assassins? I don't think I have anything else to say about the ninjas. Um, maybe I, I would say that 
I would guess that it's right to be Katsu slightly more often than to be Benji. I think like giving up three health is a lot of health to give up. And I think that's like something that people are overlooking when uh, thinking like maybe you should default to Benji. I think, I think you should probably be defaulting to Katsu. And then you have to have good reason to be Benji or have no real draws to Katsu to switch. But if you're just like kind of an average ninja deck with like some of each combo line, I'm probably just playing Katsu. That's fair. Um, Benji does have interesting things going. And I feel like Benji is also going to be a hero that cares about the dice roll a lot because Benji on the play is a much different hero than Benji on the draw. I feel like, like when you get to be on the play and you start at 17 life, but your opponent starts at like 16 life, like that's the pretty good dynamic, um, to start with, especially if you're starting with an arsenal from that point. So, and that's not really even asking a lot for Benji to do. It's just two lower cost, lower powered attack stab in his opening hand. Yeah, I generally say like for going first versus going second, if you can like three damage and get an arsenal, it's probably pretty reasonable to go first. If you're leaking less than that and getting an arsenal or leaking like around that number and not getting arsenal, I'd re- usually rather go second. So like it's pretty it's pretty easy to see leaking three damage and getting an arsenal with Benji. So pretty yeah, happy absolutely. to go first with it, with him. Oh, he also has a specialization of Benji as well, the Majestic. So uh, his is a... It's not a blue block three, but it's a yellow block three, and his specialization, I would say, is much better than Katsu's. Katsu's is the visit, the the temple thing, right? Floating dojo. The dojo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't block. Okay. Assassins. They're a lot better than we thought they would be, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a constructed. <laughs> Not a constructed, but in limited, you know, um, I think they're just the best all around class, right? Like they're, they have, I I guess maybe I should rephrase that. I think they have the highest floor out of all three classes. Like, would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah. I think the fact that they have so many cards to just block for three and they are very consistently able to use their whole hand, like they can pitch cards. They can't use a whole hand efficiently, but they can pitch cards to Spider's Bite. And then if you're playing Arachne, you have go again on your stealth card, so you can like play a stealth card in something else. And with Usury, you can still swing Spider's Bites. <laughs> yeah. You can play a lot of the two costs with still a low blue count. I think Assassins just like feel like kind of the mid-range, slightly disruptive deck that like can threaten to fatigue you. They can threaten to race you. They can threaten to block. They just kind of feel like they're in the middle doing whatever they kind of need to be doing. Yeah, and they also have the widest card pool, right? Because they have both their own base class and then they have the split class both between Ranger Assassin and Ninja Assassin. So they have just like the most cards available to them out of anybody, right? Uh, I'm not sure because I think there's like less Assassin-specific cards in each pack than there are Ranger-specific cards. Oh, is and... that how they balanced it out? Yeah, I, okay. I think I, so. I, I'm not 100% sure on like the pack collations yet or anything like that, but that, that would make sense to me. Yeah, I'm... Hoping we get more information about that, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe they are. Maybe it's not like that. I, I really don't know. Because basically in a draft pod, I'm imagining the default being 2-2-4. Two, two, so like four assassins, 2-2 two, two of the, like if everybody's like getting along and drafting their seat and like want like a like a pretty good deck. I, I was thinking like that would kind of be the default because Rangers definitely fall apart quickly when they're overdrafted in a pod ninjas to a lesser i think they're they're fine if they're a little bit overdrafted but i think their power level and their combo lines can start falling apart pretty quickly yeah 
ninjas like pretty quickly run into the issue where there just aren't enough good zero blues and there's three ninjas so yeah uh but the assassins just kind of are just happy to do like whatever block play you know they're uh, efficient um stealth cards one way or another i think it's a little bit harder uh if like there's like three usuries in the pod and only one arachne just because like usury just wants and cares about the attack reaction so much and those are a little bit more limited than just the stealth cards themselves uh but she could still always just use her her ability to swap in some pretty cool things yeah there's there's a lot of cards with stealth in the format yeah and like there's lots of cool things you can swap in like um Uzuri is really impressive with both the free ruling when renegades and feisty locals. So you kind of get to like pick uh, which cards you're swapping in depending on when your opponent says blocks or no blocks. So when your opponent blocks your zero for three or whatever you're coming in with, whatever stealth card you're coming with, and they try to cover it up, you can swap in a feisty locals and then feisty locals would get hits bonus power because obviously it's being blocked by an action card and then free ruling renegades is good to swap in when the opposite happens where your opponent says no blocks you swap it in you just get to come in with your two card six so yeah though i would say most of the time you have a feisty locals and a stealth card you should probably just be playing the feisty locals and arsenaling the stealth card for the next turn or playing the the stealth card and arsenaling the feisty locals for the next turn rather than just like swapping it in because it's not usually worth the card to get two extra points of value. Yeah, that's fair. But I do think a lot of the generic two costs and one cost, like they're not cards that people are really going to be picking that highly. So Uzuri can end up with a pretty good amount of them. Just mm-hmm. like the two card, the two cost sixes. And uh, she's pretty happy to just play those cards and swap them in. Yeah. I think she's the happiest basically with like, almost any generic in the set like she's fine with cut down to size she's cut she's fine with destructive deliberation she's fine with wreak havoc um like all these like common mopey generic attacks um spring load like i feel like Uzri is the hero that's like the happiest to be playing these cards uh they're all like a little bit better than i think i initially gave them credit for overall but given how much flexibility Uzuri has in like dictating them to make sure you're getting the highest upside with them. Like I think she's the one that uses them the most effectively. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that kind of takes away from like in sealed, I think everybody was expecting to just be like Arachne as the default because, you know, Arachne just gets to have the go again off the South card. So you just get to utilize your cards a little bit more effectively. But when you have more of these like premium generic effects, Uzuri does start to become a little bit more appealing in that sense. Yeah, and I think like when you want to play Arachne, it's because you have, I think you need to have a lot of like the premium red stealth cards with like on hits. Mm-hmm. And you also probably want at least a couple of the the pump spells to pump up these stealth cards. So you attack with your stealth card, you have two cards in hand. It's not like face up that you're pumping this. It could be a pump for this or it could be you're going to play another thing afterwards. So yeah, absolutely. it's pretty hard for them to overblock the first one to play around the pump when you could just play another attack afterwards. And that's where Arachne, a lot of Arachne's power is, is that these pump spells are going to get through a lot of the time. Mm, I would agree with that. But uh, Uzuri is a lot happier than Arachne just playing like yellow stealth cards, whereas Arachne is probably still going to play a decent amount of yellow stealth cards because they block three and you need a critical mass of stealth cards. But they are much less happy with them than Uzuri is because Uzuri's just swapping them out a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Do you want to move on to equipment or anything else on assassins then? We can move on to equipment. Okay. Um, or so, actually, sorry. Go sorry. ahead. Uh, assassins. So do you think that there is one assassin that you should be playing more often than the other? I actually think it's Usury more often than Arachne, which is surprising because, you know, before I had played with the set, I pretty I probably would have said the opposite. Um, but having actually played with the set a little bit, like I was saying, just the fact that Usury has control over maximizing the effectiveness of the generic attacks um, off of any of the stealths, and she's kind of happy playing whatever stealth card she wants to for that effect, or just coming in with like the zero for three on hit stealth cards. Like she just has a lot more flexibility, I feel like, in her overall game plan when she's attacking than Arachne, where Arachne is very specifically looking to come in with like the red. Uh, stealth cards that have go again presenting these on hits and then like you said trying to be tricky with them a little bit more so i feel like he uses the generics just a little less efficiently at that point then yeah that that makes sense to me they they uh do use generics worse i think mm. okay and they also are missing one health so it's not free to just be down a health at the start of the game that's like a third of a card that you're giving up and if you're heroes are pretty comparable and you're down a health then you should probably be playing the hero with one more health agreed um so how do you feel about the seekers equipment so i think they're okay and azalea specifically i found them quite nice that you can like pitch a blue use a seekers equipment uh, use another or use two seekers equipment and load an arrow and the next turn you now you scribe whatever arrow to the top and you can activate azalea to do that i think that is probably where they're at their best i think otherwise it seems like you really either want oh what's the two cost card called that prevents the thing and make prevents damage and gives you a ponder token peace of mind uh, peace of mind yeah i think you really want like peace of mind to go with them or you just want three seekers equipment so that you can pitch a blue and activate three secrets equipment get a pretty good value out of your blue where you're getting three resources and you're getting to opt a little bit that opt usually won't matter unless you're azalea but it is relevant uh rabble also is a card that cares about what's on top of your deck so i think they're fine i they're definitely not as strong as the quell pieces they're not as strong as anything that's been stronger than the quell pieces in my opinion i feel like they're the best in ranger because ranger if you have two you can still activate barbed castaway um if you don't have an arsenal yet you can then put something in your arsenal and if you do have an arrow in your arsenal you can turn it face up to give it an aim counter so the fact that they have a weapon that they can activate at instant speed does lead them um some more flexibility and then a deck like azalea when she does something like that she cares about the opt on it a lot then to make sure that she could be swapping into some kind of powerful arrow to dominate into and to that effect like I think there's even times in Azalea where you will just activate these, just pay a resource just to opt. Like I could definitely see worlds where you're just like, don't even care about the damage mitigation. You just care about trying to put something very threatening on into your arsenal that turn, especially if you have like a a good amount of pumps already. And that's why I feel like they're, they're the most effective in Ranger. If you don't, they're better than nothing in all the other classes most of the time, but I think they really, really shine in Ranger. Yeah, I, I think they're definitely worse than Riptide than Azalea. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, I, I think in Azalea they they shine a lot, and then 
I don't think you should like your plan going into it shouldn't be to opt on your turn. Like that's not why you're putting the cards in your deck, but like it is right to do that some percentage of the time. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to like the other generic pieces, they all kind of fill different niches for different heroes. I feel like uh, Silken Ghee is not the best in a lot of decks, but it's actually pretty good in benji because the minus one effect can actually be a bonus weirdly where you can force through an attack that would otherwise be blockable to be non-blockable while getting your resource so that's interesting in benji specifically threadbare tunic i feel like is going to be the best in um rangers and assassins with rangers looking to maybe uh, play a bunch of pumps with a one cost uh, arrow in their arsenal um, they're out of resources and then they could activate threadbare tunic to still fire their one cost arrow after they played all their pumps from their hand or assassins being able to um, activate um, attack reactions while they don't have any cards in their hand so i think those two classes kind of want this more than ninjas um but i could i think any class is going to be would still like i said have this over nothing yeah and I think they'd also play it over uh, the Seeker's equipment too. Mm-hmm. Um, Fisty Cuffs. Meh. Two resources for one damage. Like, that's all about. The Fisty Cuffs is good in the sense that, like, it, it, it always has the threat of activation. So it's something your opponent always has to, like, plan around and think about. And obviously, you really don't want to just be paying two resources for one damage. You want to be using these to try to push through some kind of on hit effect, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, on hits make make can make it worthwhile to spend two resources for one damage and an on hit. If the on hits worth at least one damage, then you're spending two resources and your your gloves. It's not it's not no cost for two damage worth of value. It's fine, especially mm-hmm. in like a format where it can be hard to turn your worst card into two points of damage. Then turning like an extra yellow or an extra blue into this one damage plus the on hit is pretty worthwhile. I think. Yeah. And then talk to me about Fleetfoot sandals. Where do I want these? Uh so the best use case I could think of for them is blue sneak attack, where you can play blue sneak attack in your arachne deck and then just play blue sneak attack, use the shoes on it. It's coming in for five and do something else. So two resources and a card for five damage on your blue is a pretty good rate. And also lets you spend a four plus card hand because you're spending a card and two resources for something with go again. So that's kind of where I landed on it. I don't think they're very good though. No, I would agree. Um, I think they're pretty niche and it's still better than having nothing, but not by much. I imagine a lot of games ending with these just looking very pretty in your boot slot and your equipment. (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess they're also... Uzuri probably is pretty happy with them when she plays her one power stealth card that you, if you block it with a card, she can just use her sandals and play something else instead of swapping a card in, but still not amazing. Yeah, that's that sounds uh, pretty niche. And, may, and maybe there's some line with Benji where you're playing your blue combo finisher for your head jab line and then you sandals it and do something else too. So there's a few spots where it's not 
the worst. I guess with but... blue recoil, so like let's say your opponent's at like some kind of low life total, you blue recoil, you get their last card out of their hand because they blocked earlier on the chain, and then you give that go again and come in with some other bigger attack. That could be a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there there are a few spots to use it. I think the Rangers really don't have a way to use it because they're never going to play an attack with one power unless things went horribly wrong. Mm. but I think ninjas and assassins can find some spots to use them. Yeah. Oh, well, I was about to move on to generics after this, Um, but I realized we missed four ranger cards. Uh, We forgot to talk about premeditate and scout the periphery. Well, premeditate's a majestic. Yeah, but these are all just ranger cards, right? (laughs) So they may, they may say generic at the, They may say generic, but uh, they're they're basically dual class ranger generics. Yeah, I would be very careful about playing these cards outside of ranger. If you end up in a spot where you have to play them, I think I guess I think blue blue scout the periphery is fine in the ninjas. It's swing strategies, sure. and by extension, yellow is probably okay. And a ninja's arsenal is going to be an attack action most of the time because they don't have a lot of cards that aren't attack actions, but. It's still not where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and plus, like this is like Azalea's favorite card at generic. I feel like because it pumps her arrow, and she gets to look at the top card of her deck and make sure try to like use her hair ability into something cool. Like this just screams Azalea to me more so than anybody else. But obviously, Riptide is still going to be able to like scout the periphery, load in your Death Touch, attack with Death Touch for nine. Like it's pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I, I think. It's definitely definitely at its best in Azalea. Red Scout the Periphery is like a very, very high pick when you're Azalea. It's probably lower than the Lace Cycle, but not by a lot. I think it's a super high pick in, in Riptide as well, just because of his hero ability. He's still attacking from Arsenal. Like, as long as you're getting the buff from it consistently and you don't have to worry about like having the Arsenal for it, like I think it's fine. Yeah, so I think Riptide's going to be able to use it effectively just because as long as you're getting the pump on it, I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Riptide will be happy with it. Azalea, it's quite good, where, and the rest of the classes probably don't want it too much. Maybe ninjas can play it sometimes, and it's not the worst, but they're not looking to play it. And then, I guess, we talked about Come to Fight already. Would you say Ravenous Ravel is just the other just high premium comment of the set then? Um, I think Ravenous Rabble is worse than I thought it was. It's like another card that can get value out of the Seeker's equipment, but like limited decks are going to have a lot of yellows in them. They're going to have some blues in them. You have to have blues to pay for your cards. And in that case, Ravenous Rabble sometimes is a two for a two with go again, sometimes a three with go again. Its average is probably like a little bit above a three go again. So it's still quite good. And then you also get the utility out of Azalea where you can. So your top card before you decide what to do with Azalea, you get some utility out of Riptide where you can load something because you played a card from hand. And uh, Katsu's obviously pretty happy to play it too because it's a zero and it can help enable lines where you can lead with Rabble and then do your combo line. And you have one more thing they have to block that they want to stop you from. Benji can make this unblockable if he plays it and then it uh, goes below two power, right? So even when you attack with red, if you, fl- if you make it shrink, like you're not like as unhappy as you might otherwise be because it might shrink itself low enough that it becomes unblockable. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, I, I think it's just a good card. Um, yeah, I think it's really just the assassins that aren't 
thrilled to be playing it, but like I still think it like makes the cut yeah. in a lot of decks. Yeah, I agree. It's it's good. And then Seek Horizon. Uh we've talked that there's not a lot of go again in this set. Um how good is two two card four go again though? It's not. <laughs> that's not what you want to be doing. But especially in the assassins, but in general, like if you block with three three blocks and then you play a Seek Horizon, or you block with two three blocks, play a Seek Horizon and Arsenal your last card, that's not a bad turn cycle. That's a turn cycle that you can be like reasonably happy with where you're getting your four points of value out of a card plus your action point, and then you're converting two other cards to just blocking. That's like fine this format isn't it's not nearly as strong as uprising or even aria was where the heroes are doing broken things i think these heroes are all like i think azalea at her ceiling is the closest to doing broken things and like sometimes the assassins can cheat these blood rot tokens and sometimes katsu can have like a nuts uh bonds turn but for the most part this format is much more on rate than we've seen from past limited formats there's no yeah Dune Breaker sent a pie into Evermoth sent a pie off of blue three card 13. <laughs> yeah. So Briar isn't presenting 20 damage on turn one with and half of it's unblockable because it's on arcane. Yeah. So it, I guess all this to say, if you get the opportunity to block with a couple cards and play Seek Horizon, I, I'm not unhappy with that. That's a that's a pretty solid turn cycle. So yeah, absolutely. It's fine. It lets you use four card hands. I wouldn't pick it super highly, but it's 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 fine. This has the upside of putting some good arrow in your hand for Azalea on top and then Azaleaing into it. There's lots of Azalea support in this deck to make sure she can do her thing consistently. I think that's kind of a running theme we've been coming into. Yeah, I did not get a draft Arcane Rising. I think I still never drafted Arcane Rising, but I don't know if Arcane Rising had as much Azalea support as Ascended. It had Ravenous Rabble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> had Fate for Scene. Fate for Scene's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to draft some Arcane Rising sometime. Yeah, because I, I guess after playing Azalea in this set format, I'm like, man, she's sweet. Well, any other final thoughts about Uprising Limited other than Azalea sweet before you wrap things up? I think um, I'm just very excited to get into exploring this format some more. I've been doing a lot of constructed testing for Chicago, the Min-Max Realm Games Tournament. And I'm very excited to shift my focus towards limited. This format seems fun. It seems a lot deeper, not deeper, but a lot lower powered than previous formats, which is very exciting and probably means, I guess I've already seen reasonably longer games. Yeah. yeah. Pitch stacking and second cycle. It all matters. What a world. <laughs> cool. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for watching, everybody. Always appreciate all the support. Thank you to all of our patrons out there very much. And the next time you're drafting Outsiders or playing Sealed and Outsiders, always remember, mind your manners. Thanks for watching. Mm-hmm.